Hey there, it's Olivia Allen Price, host of Bay Curious, the podcast. KQED Podcasts wants to thank listeners like you whose support makes this podcast possible. If you want to help us continue to make great content, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcasts. And thanks. From KQED. Hey, everyone. I'm Olivia Allen Price, and you're listening to Bay Curious, the show that answers your questions. Today, we're going to get right into it with this week's question asker. My name is Peter Odeste. I live in Emeryville, California. My husband and I went shopping, and this particular day we went to Target. Odeste and his husband, Noam Shimon, who we'll meet a little bit later, had been to the Target in Emeryville, California in the past, and they'd seen a few things locked up behind plexiglass. Like an electric toothbrush, for example, and for me it made sense because, you know, I recently bought one and it's like $100. Electric shavers. So to me it seemed like more expensive items were in locked containers. But on a recent visit, they found a lot more stuff required employee assistance to get off the shelf. Stuff that sold at much lower price points. Things like, I think, toothpaste or even like face cleansers, vitamins, things like ibuprofen, all of those things were, were locked up. This is a change that's been seen at stores across the country. And it got Oreste and Shimon wondering. Why are these things locked up? And is it a reflection of the larger economy in my neighborhood. Today on Bay Curious, we're exploring the big and organized world of retail theft. We'll look at why stores are locking things up, if it's working, and what other theft deterrents might be coming down the pike. Stick around. Support for Bay Curious comes from Sierra Nevada Brewing Company. Committed to brewing things the right way since 1980, because when you're a family-run brewery, there's no other way to do it. Sierra Nevada Brewing Company, still family-owned, operated, and argued over. And be sure to stay tuned through the end of the show so you can play our monthly trivia game for a chance to win some cool prizes. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment, and if you love what you're hearing... And I know you love what you're hearing. Please consider becoming a KQED member. You get special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks. Here to help us answer why so much is locked up in retail stores these days is KQED's Catherine Monahan. Hey, Catherine. Hey, Olivia. Where did you start your reporting to answer Oreste and Shimon's question? Well, first I wanted to see what exactly was locked up. So I had Shimon take me to his local Target. Is there any kind of button to pull someone? We're peering at this plexiglass case, trying to figure out how to buy the Advil locked inside of it. Oh, here. Need team member assistant. Please place hand below the sensor to activate. Shimon waves his hand below a little plastic square sticking out of the case. And then we stand there. Well, I guess someone's going to come and open the Advil. For a while. So what else is locked? I guess it's all the medications. 
pain reliever. It's all like the vitamins and condoms. Condoms a lot. Finally, an employee walks up with a key. Hi, how's it going? Good, good. Do you mind opening it? Yeah, I yeah. just want one Advil. Sweet, thank you so much. And we're on our way. We walk by laundry detergent, which is also locked up, and baby formula? Target representatives say the items in the cases vary city by city. They're aware that they lose some money when customers just leave sometimes instead of waiting around, but they don't know exactly how much. Jason Brewer is executive vice president with the Retail Industry Leaders Association. No retailer wants to lock up product. It is a, it is a last resort. Um, but it's only done when it's impossible to keep product, a specific product on the shelf. He says people are stealing the stuff that's easy to carry out of the store and easy to sell. When you think about it, basic necessities like Advil or toothpaste have a guaranteed market. A luxury item like jewelry might fetch a higher price, but everybody needs laundry detergent. And laundry detergent is like $16 now in the stores. So if you see it for half of that online, do you stop to wonder whether it might be stolen? How would you know? Right now, it's way too easy to use a fake business address, uh, a made-up screen name, and essentially fence stolen product from an online marketplace. Currently, you don't have to verify your identity to sell online. But you will starting this summer, when new federal and state laws go into effect. That's after years of back and forth between big box retailers who wanted stricter regulation of online sales and online marketplaces like Facebook and eBay who didn't but eventually came around. Here's a remnant from the campaign, an ad from a retailer's group. They're not your average shoplifters. They're criminal networks targeting your local retailers using dangerous tactics to steal shelf loads of products. Wow, that ad is quite dramatic. Um, So these groups steal high volumes of certain products and are then selling them online? Yeah, online or on the street or at a flea market or what have you. But yeah, if you see an extra good deal online, it's worth wondering. Is the problem getting worse for retailers? We're seeing so many more things locked up these days. Well, it's hard to get clear numbers on that because the retailers themselves are the ones collecting them. A lot of this type of theft doesn't get reported to the police. But according to the retailers, the rate of loss due to external theft is pretty steady, actually, over the last five years or so. It's less than 1% of annual profit. Less than 1% doesn't sound like that much. Like, are we not at risk of retailers going out of business because of this theft problem? I think the bigger risk is from the shift to online shopping that took place during the pandemic. And that coincides with this rise in organized retail crime, which is what the retailers are saying has changed. Brewer, with the Retail Industry Leaders Association, he says it's a huge issue that there are interstate, international even, networks involved. He pointed me toward a recent federal report that's just, it's like pages and pages of complex diagrams showing that the thieves, the sellers, and the organizers can be several different groups in several different locations. And he even cites cases in which Central and South American organizations send people to the U.S. to sell stolen goods. So the organizations provide them with the items, and then these people go out on the street and sell them, and they're basically working in indentured servitude to pay off the debt of their transport. Hmm. Now, statistics are one thing, but what are people who work in the stores seeing sort of on the ground? 
Well, I spoke with several workers. They say they are seeing a lot of theft, but they brought up some different takes on why and how it's happening. One of them, who asked to remain anonymous, recently worked in a major Bay Area chain. She says the employees there aren't allowed to try to stop anyone from shoplifting. You're just supposed to customer service them. You can't accuse them, you can't call the cops, but you can be like, oh, are you finding everything okay? And basically just annoy them into wanting to leave. She says the policy came about after the store was sued for racially profiling a shopper and that that is an issue. Because I would witness my managers just totally profile someone who wasn't stealing. And a lot of those people were, you know, black people or other people of color. While brick and mortar stores may be losing sales, one industry that is doing really well these days is private security. Looking around the San Francisco Bay Area, it's now common to see armed guards at drugstores guarding sunscreen and pantyhose. That's a taser. And a taser. yeah, and this is a firearm. And a firearm. Yeah. <laughs> a private security guard who asked to remain anonymous is showing me his gear. So we have uh, extra ammo, mags, uh, baton, <laughs> radio, communication. He's at the door of a local chain drugstore. He says the weaponry is mostly just to act as a deterrent. It's more geared towards like violent crimes, right? Like yeah. armed robberies or, you know, those kind of things. It's not so much for the box of cupcakes walking out the door. It's not like drop the cupcakes, it's for, you know what I'm saying? I ask him how customers react to seeing him in his black uniform with his badges, ammunition and all that. He says it really varies by location, but some people thank him. But he used to work at an organic grocery chain. He goes into an impression of how the people there reacted. Oh, wow. This is my happy place, sir. You don't speak for me. I come here to meet like-minded people. Okay, and suddenly I turn the corner, I'm confronted by you and your darkness. He says that actually, although he may look threatening, he's not allowed to do that much at all. It used to be where maybe like five, ten years ago, typically in retail you could detain. Somebody shoplifting, you'd like put them in cuffs or, or take them to the back, back room or something and call the local police or something. Right now, he says he's not permitted to follow customers or get in their way while they're leaving unless they're being violent. Andre Godwin is a security guard at another local store. He's also heavily armed. Not that I would shoot people for stealing because I wouldn't, but I'm just saying, though, even with a mob, me as a security guard, I, I can't. I can't use my stuff. I'll get sued and lose my job, maybe lose my license. It's Like I told you, we're in a no-win situation. Guards, in fact, have shot shoplifters or vice versa in several cases across the nation, including one just a few weeks ago in San Francisco. And stores have been sued for that. So what exactly are the guards told to do now? Good question. I mean, the rules change every other day, to be honest with you. So many things have been told to me where I don't, I really don't do anything unless it's a violent. So it's not only store employees who can't intervene with shoplifters. Security guards usually can't either. And that's why stores are relying more on devices rather than people to protect their goods. I asked Godwin about the locked cases. So from what you see, is that actually slowing anybody down much? No. People are walking just straight out with these things. They go through self-checkout and, you know, have a whole, you know, let's say they got 20 items, but they really scanning just five of them. 
He says the cases don't do anything once the employees unlock them because people can still just walk out the door without paying. And the self-checkout? Well, that's another place where technology is taking the role of people and thieves are finding new ways around it. He says people will take a picture of a barcode of one thing, print it, cut it out, and then put it over the barcode of something else. Yeah, they'll do it real slick while they're in the aisles getting their stuff. Unless somebody's watching them, you wouldn't even notice it, you know? You wouldn't even know. So, you know, have have it taped to the box or whatever, and then, you know, they'll scan it, and they'll scan, you know, a Pepsi or something. But it's a microwave, you know what I mean? He says the amount of theft he sees is staggering. Oh, it's it just doesn't stop. It does not stop. Do you feel like it's different than it used to be? Oh, hey, oh, Oh, my God. Like, I've never seen nothing. And I've been a kid before. You know, you kids still a little snicker bar here and there or something. You know, after school because you ain't got no money or something. But no, this, this is, this is on a whole nother. Like I said, these are grown folks. Do you feel like you do see very many people stealing who just kind of obviously need it? Yeah, definitely. I've, I've been approached by you know a couple times where people like I'm gonna be honest with you sir it's out of respect for you I'm going to go in here and I'm going to da 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 um, I was supposed to start my new job today it didn't happen da 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 I gotta go in there and grab some things you know I just I'm just letting you know out of respect for you I've had that it's a tough economy these days that is undeniable and one of the places people find a way through it is at the Laney Flea Market in Oakland. Hundreds, probably thousands of people are strolling around a big parking lot, some with their kids. It's a sunny day, there are food trucks, and an ice cream man pushing a little cart around. Little covered stalls are selling the things you might expect to find at a flea market. Tibetan jewelry, records, slightly beat up leather coats. But there are also entire stalls full of really basic items, like toothbrushes and shaving cream. Faule Fields is working at the gate. What do you feel like that says about the economy these days? I mean, that, that, just, that says that, you know, people can't necessarily afford to buy it in the stores. So it's, quote unquote, air quotes, falling off the back of the truck, finding ways out of major department stores and finding its way here. Or people are buying online also, too. Because I don't want to say that everybody's a criminal down here. But people find ways to supplement their income. Basically by, you know, just giving people deals by what they can find on the side. Inflation has been especially high over the last year for personal care products and household goods. Here at the flea market, I see laundry detergent selling for $5. Deodorant, two for five. I see the same size of Advil that Shimon paid almost $30 for at the Target, the one where the guy came and unlocked the case, selling for $10 on a fold-out table. What about the people who are buying that stuff? What does that say, or what do you observe, or what do you think? When you come inside, everything you buy is tax-free. It's tax-free. So you got to think of it like that. If you go to the store and buy some toothpaste, you're going to pay, instead of paying $4, you're going to pay $4.50. Whether if you can come down to the flea market and buy for $2.50, with no tax, it's a no-brainer. So you're going to do that to, to give your family, you know, put, keep extra money on a, in the bank and food on the table. So it's a, it's a sign of the times. Catherine, after your reporting, do you see locked cases as a sign the economy has gotten so bad that people have to steal these basic necessities? 
not necessarily steal them, but it does mean there's a market for cheaper goods. There is a demand in economic terms. So maybe not steal them themselves, but buy them unknowingly from somebody else who got them from somebody else who stole them. Can we expect even more stuff to be locked up in the future if, if this is the reality we're in right now? Well, maybe not locked exactly because, I mean, the stores themselves know that that is pretty annoying. But I do think we'll be seeing more tech. There's different things in development. One way that stores are trying now is making items in such a way that they just won't even work if you don't go through the checkout. So if, especially for electronics. So if you buy a phone or a power drill or whatever, and then you try to just walk straight out the door with it, it'll just be a brick. It'll never work. Another one that I heard about that I think is super interesting is the idea of using a combination of scanning items and facial recognition technology to identify a thief as they're going out the door and then just send them a ticket in the mail. Oh, wow. So sort of like almost like fast track. Uh, you know, if you go through a fast track and you don't have fast track, they just send you a ticket in the mail. Exactly. And it makes sense if you think about how things, you know, economically in the larger picture, sales are shifting online. So it makes sense that stores are going to want to cut costs. They're going to want to avoid, when possible, lawsuits. They're going to want to avoid employing additional people. So the more that they're able to rely on tech, I think it's reasonable to expect that they will. Certainly starts to raise a lot of questions about privacy, though. But that's another episode. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, Catherine Monahan, thank you so much. Thank you, Olivia. Bay Curious is made in San Francisco at member-supported KQED. Our show is produced by Amanda Font, Christopher Beal, and me, Olivia Allen Price. If you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe or follow Bay Curious in your podcast player, or share this episode with a friend. If you are a regular Bay Curious listener, we would love your help with an audience survey we have running right now. We do these surveys every few years, and they help us make decisions about future programming for the show. The survey we're running right now only takes about six minutes, and it's a great way to show your support for what we're doing. Find a link in our show notes or at our website, baycurious.org. I'm Olivia Allen Price. Have a great week. Hi, Bay Curious listeners. Are you ready to play May's trivia game? Every month, we read a question here at the end of our episode. You can give us your answers over at our website, kqed.org slash baycurious, or just click the link in the episode description. Out of the correct answers, we'll randomly choose one lucky winner to receive a cool prize package with Bay Curious swag and Sierra Nevada goodies. Okay, our question for the month is, the world's longest-running pillow-fighting contest was held from 1966 to 2006 in what Bay Area town? Our trivia quiz is made possible by Sierra Nevada Brewing Company. Good luck! Hi there, I'm Randa Dirfettah from Throughline. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org podcast. That's donate.kqed.org podcast.